Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Sermon Series. สวัสดีค่ะยินดีต้อนรับสู่บทเทศนาของบท Harrisburg Brethren in Christ, where our vision is to be a thriving, diverse urban church sharing Christ's love and serving the needs of our local and global communities. And here's this week's sermon. We hope you enjoy it too. I wasn't going to read uh, the first 13 verses, but I, I just told uh, Keith I was going to read one verse, but I want to read all of them. I, I feel like if I keep reading them, we're going to remember them. <laughs> so every time I preach on this. So starting with verse, chapter 20, verse 1, and if it's not up there, it's not Keith's fault. I changed plans on him. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord is giving you. You shall not murder. That was what I was going to read today for scripture is you shall not murder. But I figure we had a little more time for that. You shall not murder. This verse states that lethal violence against an individual out of hatred or anger or greed in whatever circumstances by whatever means is wrong. This commandment was part of God's movement to rein in humanity's propensity to slaughter all kinds of people for all kinds of reasons. Only death, according to God's specific laws or in obedience to God's direct commands, was permitted. This, rather than championing killing, as often people interpret it, was limiting it. In Genesis, for instance, chapter 4, there is Lamech's song in which he brags, I killed a man for hurting me. And I killed 77 men for killing one of mine. This is massive disproportional violence. And he's bragging, I do revenge on a huge scale better than anyone. In that world, the higher the death total, the better. When God says, thou shalt not kill, he is trying to stop that. In the ancient world, they actually had curse tablets. Prayers written on clay tablets to their God to bless their efforts in killing as many enemies as possible. People took pride in their killing back then. Human life was quite expendable. There was child sacrifice for crops to grow and animals to be fertile. Revenge, well done, was considered, in fact, a moral virtue. Into this world came God's command, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not, kill, thou shalt not murder. This commandment limits the violence going on at that time. And the reason was twofold. All life belongs to God, especially human life made in His image. 
Life is not for human beings to do with as they will. We are not the creators of life nor the owners of it. There is only one owner and he insists on his ownership. Human beings were to never kill on their own authority according to this commandment. Only as agents of God or God's law was killing permitted. The second reason, at least in that day, the second reason people were not to kill was because not only was God the creator of humanity, he was its only legitimate judge. Only God was capable of understanding what was in a human heart. Only God knew every variable of human behavior. Only he was good enough, knowledgeable enough, and fair enough to judge human evil and who deserved to live and who deserved to die. Were there wars in the Old Testament that God himself commanded? The answer is yes. But it was God judging human evil using some human agents, not Israel acting on its own. Israel was not supposed to start its own wars in the name of national security or national interest. Israel wasn't to fight unless God said fight. Israel wasn't to invade unless God said invade. Life and death was never to be determined by mere human beings. Only God can make such decisions. Thou shalt not kill says only God has such authority. And he limited it. Of course, later on, there was this person named Jesus Christ who came along. And we read the scripture this morning. And Jesus didn't come to limit violence. Jesus came to eliminate violence. Jesus didn't come to stop people from murdering each other. He came to help people love each other, even our enemies. He said, love your enemies, pray for them, bless them. He came and brought things to a whole new level. The fact is we are precious to God in a way that nothing else is. Human life is sacred. It is not expendable. It is not disposable. But in the last 100 years, human life has never been more devalued. Hundreds of millions of people have been slaughtered in war, by abortions, by illegal handguns, in gas chambers, by governments starving their own people to death, by genocidal maniacs in the name of some humanistic or re religious philosophy. You know, one of the saddest things is, is like in a city like New York, there are just about as many abortions as live births. That's staggering to me. In what many consider the most enlightened, liberal, cultured city in the world, this is happening. The irony is that when secular humanists take over, and a secular humanist is a person who says that humans are good and that human reason is what all of life should be built around, that when secular humanists take over, it is humans who perish in unprecedented numbers. In other words, when we play God, we die at our own hands. The truth is the real God values humanity much more than humanity values humanity. And speaking of playing God, I thought I'd just plunge in this morning. You don't, hold, you don't mind if I really go plunging, do you? Let me talk about the elephant in the room that we've all gotten used to. I'm talking about a little thing called mutually assured destruction. Mad. You see, we now, because of our nuclear arsenals, can blow up ourselves many times over. You know, I don't understand that. 
I really thought once would be sufficient. How many times do we need to keep blowing up radioactive ruins and ash? Human beings, and apparently even Christians, have accepted this insanity. Nations are actually saying that they have the right to participate in the destruction of this planet as we know it. Every child, every woman, every man, every animal, every leaf, every bush, every, every tree will be destroyed. And we as a species are saying it is our right to do so. I think the living God disagrees. This world is His. And only He has the right to determine its fate. Which I'm sure is probably why we haven't blown ourselves up already. I think God has protected us despite ourselves. You talk about devaluing human life. You can't devalue human life more than by saying that you're willing to participate in getting rid of all of it under the right circumstances. Such thinking is blasphemous. It is the ultimate playing God. It is the ultimate in assuming His authority. We don't have the right. And at this point, many people say, would say, Oh, wait. Our nuclear arsenals have prevented war between the superpowers for almost 70 years. They have been a deterrent. No one's crazy enough to start a nuclear war. The simple fact about nuclear deterrence is that it is no deterrent at all unless its possessor is prepared to use it. When people say nuclear weapons have prevented World War III, they are in reality saying for 70 years the gamble of deterrence has paid off. No one has used it yet. I would like to say this. Even if this gamble for nu with nuclear deterrence works for another 200 years, and then we destroy most of ourselves, the 270 years of peace it bought was not worth it. 270 years of peace is a drop of, in the bucket of time. It is not worth, it, worth, worth wiping out almost the entire human race or all of it. Brothers and sisters, there are some things we cannot leave to the secular leaders of this world, if at all possible. The world wants a church, have you noticed, that will not interfere with its sin. In Germany, Goebbels, one of the leaders of the Nazis, said, Churchmen dabbling in politics should take note that their only task is to prepare the world for the hereafter. You leave the world to us Nazis. You just get people ready for heaven. Later, a famous German churchman went to Hitler and told him he was concerned for the future of the German people. And Hitler said, let that be my concern. You just worry about religious stuff. So the church in Germany, for the most part, kept its morality to itself, letting Hitler do as he wanted without political challenge. The politicians of this world would like nothing better than a silent church or to seduce the church and use them to rubber stamp their own agendas. Stay out of politics, they say. Well, let me ask you, is abortion a moral or a political issue? Was slavery a spiritual or a political issue? Was the use of children working in factories seven days a week, 16 hours a day, was that a spiritual or a political issue? Is nuclear war and spending, right now they are proposing to spend $1 trillion to upgrade 
the nuclear silos in America. One trillion dollars is nuclear war so that we can destroy the world multiple times, a political or a moral issue. Have you noticed there's probably some overlap? There are some things we must speak to which will put us at odds with some politicians, even some presidents. Let me ask you, what could we do with a billion dollars? How many hospitals could be built around the world? How many schools? How much infrastructure? How many hungry mouths fed? How much of the world could change if we quit trying to pay for its destruction instead of building it? And even if God never lets us blow ourselves up, what could be done with not a hundreds of millions of dollars or hundreds of billions of dollars, but a trillion dollar? What could we do with that money instead of spending it on a system that is already redundant? If we got rid of every nuclear silo in this country, we still have submarines that can blow the world up multiple times. We still have things in the air and planes that can still blow the world up multiple times. If, if the whole thing went down, we still can destroy the world. Why are we going to spend another trillion dollars on it? It is time for Christians to start waging peace. And that begins, first and foremost, that we pray for peace. Why pray? I'll tell you, because we know something the world doesn't know. We know who our real enemy is. We battle not against flesh and blood, but demonic lies and spiritual blindness in high places. Satan wants to destroy this world. His aim is to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus said. It is up to praying on fire Christians to say, No, Satan, you will not have your way. You will not have this world. Remember Wilberforce when he dismantled Slavery in the British Empire had a group around him that fasted and prayed, and it kept him going for 35 years until God answers that, answered that prayer, and the whole system of slavery was brought down in the biggest empire at that time. We're talking about holiness here. John Hawbecker knows what I'm talking about. John Wesley said, holiness that is not social is not true holiness. A holiness that's not against the destruction of this world or injustice or anything like that is an inadequate holiness. I find it incredible that Christians will kill themselves with guilt over things like gossip or lust or cigarettes, but will not worry the least over letting the world destroy itself. That is what Jesus said you are swallowing, you're straining out gnats and swallowing camels. That is not well-rounded holiness. All Christians are called to fight the enemies of God. But, and this is critical, we are first called upon to know who the real enemies of God are. And here at this point is where spiritual warfare and Anabaptism and the historic Peace Church meet. Paul did not assume, and please hear this, that our real enemies were human. We do not fight against flesh and blood. Anybody here that's human that is not flesh and blood? Our real enemies are not people. Our real enemies are spiritual in nature. Our real enemies are not hateful people, 
but hatred itself caused by Satan. Our real enemies are not violent people, but the spiritual powers and their lies which cause people to be violent. The spiritual powers of darkness and the evil they induce are our real enemies. I need an amen right here. You, 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 you need to agree with this. Sin and hate and despair and lostness and lies and greed and racism are the fruit of the evil one. They are the real enemies, not flesh and blood. And these enemies in turn determine the weapons we are to use. Not guns, not bazookas, not tanks, not bullets. You know what Paul calls these weapons? He calls them carnal. Our weapons are not carnal. So how do you kill hatred? By killing the one hating? No. All you create is more hatred in a number of those who cared for the one killed. Which, by the way, is precisely what's happening in the Middle East. The more we bomb them and kill them, the faster they grow. And that is not my opinion. That is the CIA's estimates. It's, you know what it's like, and I teach this in membership class. When you kill some, have you, you know, when you see dandelions that are ready to see they're all white, if you whack off a dandelion, you got rid of that one plant, but you just created 20 other dandelions to mow in your yard. That's the way violence works. How do you fight violence with more violence? No. Violence only makes others more violent. It's like throwing gas on a fire. Paul tells us what our weapons are. How do you fight Satan's lies and temptations? He says, with the belt of truth and the sword of the Spirit. That's what you do. How do you fight Satan's filth? With the breastplate of righteousness. How do you fight violence? You put on the gospel shoes of peace and you start dancing. How do you fight despair and lostness? With the shield of faith. Cover yourself, Paul says, with the helmet of salvation and arm yourself with the word of God. My brothers and sisters, we are called to war. And the way we fight this war is to wage love, is to wage truth, is to wage prayer, is to wage peacemaking. We are called not just to sit back, but to aggressively attack the strongholds of the enemy. We are to help the world reimagine itself. We are to give the world the alternative answers of the kingdom instead of the same old stupid stuff the world does over and over and over. I saw, I got my Christmas gift last year on December the 11th, 2016. That was, that was last year. And it was on, of all things, it was on 60 Minutes. The correspondent was Laura Logan, and the title of the episode was The New Columbia. How many of you saw that? Anybody see that? Boy, 60 Minutes is in trouble. <laughs> Let me, I have the actual transcript. Let me read some of it to you. For more than half a century, Columbia was one of the most violent and isolated countries on earth. Infamous for drug cartels, cocaine, and kidnapping. The Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, or FARC, F-A-R-C, fought the government in the longest-running war in the Western Hemisphere. Until recently, when Colombia achieved 
what many thought was impossible. The war is effectively over, and Colombia has been transformed. How do you end this? How do you end a 52-year war? 52 years. The longest-running war in American history is right now in Afghanistan. It's 15 years. This war lasted 52. That left 220,000 dead. In all three wars with Iraq, two with Iraq and one with that, less than 10,000 soldiers have died. In Colombia, 220,000 died. How do you end a 52-year war that left 220,000 dead and millions displaced against a revolutionary army dedicated to overthrowing the government? The Colombian military came up with one of the most unusual ideas in modern warfare. You know what they decided to do? They hired an advertising firm. They hired a creative ad executive named Jose Miguel Sokoloff to convince thousands of the FARC to give up without firing a shot. How did Sokolov do it? He did it with soccer balls and Christmas trees. This is true. In December of 2010, they launched Operation Christmas, in which they filmed commercials that were played on local TV. At great risk, Black Hawk helicopters carried two of Sokolov's colleagues, led by Colombian special forces, into rebel territory. There they found nine 75-foot trees near guerrilla strongholds and decorated them with Christmas lights. And I saw, if you see the episode, it's, it's like ropes of light, ropes of white light all the way up these 75-foot trees. It is stunningly beautiful. And each tree was rigged, I love this, with a motion detector that lit up the tree when somebody walked by at night with a banner on it. Can you imagine? You're in the middle of the jungle. You don't, you're miles from civilization. You're walking by. Suddenly, a tree lights up. And it read, and there was the banner read, if Christmas can come to the jungle, you can come home. At Christmas, everything is possible. And it worked incredibly well. 331 guerrillas, roughly 5% of the rebel force at that time, demobilized. They came out of the jungle and gave up. But with any ad campaign, they, they did more research. And they had a focus group. You know who the focus group was? Former guerrillas. Sokolov's team tracked them down and interviewed them. Sokolov said, we found the common denominator for all these stories is that a guerrilla is as much a prisoner of his organization as the people he holds hostage. Once you get in, you can't get out. He said, there was no way out, and it certainly softened me up when I heard these stories. And I said, these poor people. And Laura Logan says, and you never expected you would feel that way? I didn't expect them, said Sokolov, to be so human. By the way, that's how you kill people. You must dehumanize them first. You must make them the enemy. You must make them the incarnation of evil. It's hard to kill a human. But how do you reach your target audience when they're hiding in 150,000 square miles of jungle? They discovered from their interviews that the rivers are the highways of the jungle. So they launched their second Christmas campaign, Operation Rivers of Light. They asked people in nearby villages to send messages and gifts to the guerrillas, which were placed inside capsules 
about this big, clear capsules that glowed in the dark with white light, and then they floated them down the river. So you just put them there with these lights, and they lit up. Yes. And he said, it was beautiful. You saw light in the middle of pitch black darkness. You saw orbs of light coming down the river. They launched 7,000 of them. And one of the messages was from Colombia's president, Juan Manuel Santos, who was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. And Logan says, and you did this with the Colombian military? Absolutely. We couldn't have done it without them. It humanizes them as much as you've tried to humanize the gorillas. Sokolov and his military partners never let up. They rolled out dozens of campaigns, each uniquely designed to show the guerrillas the way out with beams of light, stickers on trees. Oh, and they did this. They got the voices of ex-guerrilla leaders who they would know who had left, and they broadcast into the jungle, come on home. And then they really, really went for the jugular. They started recruiting the mothers of these gorillas. And they broadcast out there, she's waiting for you. She's been waiting for you the last 20 years. Come home. In 2013, Sokolov found 27 mothers of gorillas. They gave his agency photos of their sons and daughters as young children that only they could recognize. And during Christmas, flyers with those photos were placed, stapled to trees all over the jungle. Logan said, man, you are really going for the jugular. That's right. When you get mama, watch out. 218 people with this campaign gave up their weapons and came home and stopped shooting. And then she asked him, what was your most successful campaign? And he said, Sokolov said, It was football. I'll call it soccer. Forgive me. (laughs) Soccer. Sokolov said, always soccer. Soccer moves this country. Soccer is our passion. It was a passion shared by the guerrillas who often stopped fighting during matches. And when Colombia hosted the Under-20 World Cup in 2011, Sokolov kicked off a new campaign. Soldiers went into the stadiums armed with thousands of soccer balls and got the players and the celebrities who were at those soccer games, movie stars, TV stars, and fans to sign them. Thousands of soccer balls. And they loaded them into helicopters and dropped them all over the jungle, each with a sticker that said, let's play again together. Come home! Over eight years, 18,000 gorillas put down their weapons and came home, mainly because of this. The ads helped bring the FARC to the negotiating table in 2012. And during the peace talks, Sokolov said guerrilla leaders asked the government to stop airing the commercials. They were losing too many people. And soon they agreed to the ceasefire. There has been peace in Colombia now since 2012. Colombia's spirit, once buried by war, has risen again. In the last 10 years, international investments in Colombia is up over 100%. Tourism is up 240%. Not long ago, it was too dangerous to go out at night. Now clubs and stores in Bogota are bursting with locals and foreigners. 
Colombia has been transformed. As Sokolov summed it up, if you had been here 10 years ago and you go today, you would say you had landed on a different planet. This is incredible. This is unprecedented. And by the way, Zach told me this. Sokolov has Christian friends who are Mennonite, who helped influence him. Colombia is changed, not just because of a military that said, we've got to try something different, not just because of open-minded politicians, not just because of an innovative ad agency. Colombia changed because Christians prayed, and they influenced even advertisers. <laughs> Because they influenced their world. Their world is different. Please hear me. I'm a good Anabaptist. Some of you don't know what that means. I, it does not mean I'm against Southern Baptists. I'm, a Anna, I'm not an anti-Baptist. I'm an Anabaptist. We are not to get in bed with any government. We are not to get in bed with any political party. But we can be allies over certain causes with them. We can speak to the world about the higher values of the kingdom, share with them new ways. We're called to be salt and light, to infect the world with God's presence and love and justice. We're called to show the world new ways to think, to manifest to the world the coming kingdom, to tell them it exists, to show the world how it works. We are called to wage shalom. Let me leave you with just a question. What if we did with our terrorists what Columbia did with theirs? What if instead of these thousands and thousands of drones that have gone in to kill certain Al-Qaeda or ISIS or, or Al-Kabab or Shish-Kabab leaders, what if in these drones instead of bombs there was medicine and toys and messages saying, let us make peace. Jesus is your prophet, at least one of your top ones. <laughs> he is our Savior. What if we made peace to honor him? What if we focused on making friends instead of killing enemies, which just makes more enemies? I ask you a simple question. What have we got to lose? It can't go much worse. Because every hospital built is ultimately less bullets that need to be made. Every school built around the world is ultimately less bombs that need to be manufactured. Every mouth fed is less F-17s that cost a fortune. I have found that it is hard to make terrorists out of friends you've helped. It's hard to make terrorists after make terrorists out of Christians you've led to Christ. When the kingdom comes, terrorism goes, hatred goes, prejudice goes. We are here today because Jesus waged peace on us. He gave his life, his body, his blood. He defeated our real enemies, our sin, the world, the flesh, the devil. And he defeated us with his love and grace. He overcame our sinful, stubborn natures. I don't know about you, but I am so glad Jesus whipped me. 
I'm so glad I lost to him. Because when I gave up, I won. I have, again, a simple motion for Christians everywhere. Why don't we quit copying the world and try it Jesus' way? Columbia did. Look what happened. Gandhi did. Look at how it changed India forever. He wasn't even a Christian, but he practiced Jesus' strategies. Martin Luther King did. And he changed America forever, although we have a long way to go. The first Christians for the first 300 years did it this way. And the Bible says they turned the world upside down. The Anabaptists did. We still live in that movement today. The Moravians, for their size, had an incredible world impact. Why don't we try it Jesus' way and wage peace instead of war? As Christians, can we at least say it's worth a shot. Today we celebrate communion. It's up front. It's, servers can come. Again, we are looking, when we look at this communion, at the victory of Jesus Christ when he came and waged love and forgiveness and grace on us. So today, as you partake of the communion, I want you to thank God for the way he treated his enemies. Because every one of us in this room was his enemy. I want you to thank God for the way he treated you when you were afar off. And I want you to pray for peace. I want you to pray that in somehow, some way, God can find in his church people that will stand for his values and we can be salt and light. And stop the world from its own insanity. We now invite you to come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify, not that you're perfect, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come, not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because in your frailty you stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. Now that the supper of the Lord is spread before you, lift up your minds and hearts above all fears and cares. Let this cup and this bread be to you the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit. Today, we are going to take communion from up front. We ask that you leave from the right side, return on the left side. You may linger on these front rows if you wish to take time to contemplate and pray what you've heard heard about today or any other need. Let us read the responsive readings together. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples. We follow his example. Brothers and sisters, this bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Take and eat this bread, remembering that he was born to be our Savior he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Feed on him in your heart and be thankful. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he also took the cup, blessed it, and gave to his disciples. We do likewise. Brothers and sisters, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Take this cup. 
Remembering that he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it together and be thankful. Lord Jesus, bless this time. It is holy time. And Lord, let your spirit pray through us for the healing and saving of this world. Amen.
Would you stand as we sing our final song? The intercessors will be at the altar. They will pray with you for and about anything. God is good. And all the time. Okay. Now that we've established that fact, worship him or come up for prayer. Thank you. us to be grace carriers, love carriers, Christ carriers. Help us to shine in darkness. Help us to love when there's so much anger. Help us to give hope in situations that bring your hope in situations that seem so hopeless. Bless us. May we be peacemakers. In your name we ask it. Amen.